found a couple weeks ago and have been playing it. Did you, did you all know that song before? No. Da, 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 da. You didn't? Oh, man, I, I've played that probably 20 or 30 times in the last two weeks. I really like that song. So you're going to learn to like it, too. <laughs> I picked the music. you got to like it. Uh, no, I, I do hope you liked it, and we probably will sing it. I really... I like the melody, and I, it's just such a, a beautiful hymn that uh, our king is a good shepherd. You know, he loves us, and he cherishes us, and he sees us. He's not some high and lofty king somewhere. And we have this you know, r- reality of the world we live in where more than likely, none of you, none of your parents, none of your children will ever meet the president. Right? It's very unlikely. And you may know the president. When I say meet the president, I don't mean like shake the hand of the president. I mean like sit in his dining room and have lunch with the guy and go golfing with him. We're not going to do that. Our king eats with us, dwells with us, sits down with us, and knows us. He is not some elite guy in Washington, D.C., unknown to the common man. He is absolutely with us. And I just, that song just really hit it for me. So, um, as I've been thinking about this this sermon, and we're going to be talking about dominion, lordship, um, it's important that we don't, when we think of the different aspects of who God is and who we are in His image, that we don't think of them as like, here's this thing called dominion and lordship, and over here is His love and compassion. That they're all mixed together. He isn't this, that, and that, but He's all of it. And we're to be all of it too as His image bearers. So kind of keep that in mind. That's why I, we sang that hymn this morning because I've been thinking and I, I go through the hymnal and I don't like most of the songs I play for various reasons. And I played that a few weeks ago and I just thought, man, this is, this is for this sermon. So just know I really, really did choose it specifically for today. Um, I'm going to read a portion here out of Genesis and then I'll pray for us this morning. Uh, Again, Genesis 1, starting in verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the things that, all the things that move on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray that the, the intentions and meditation and hope of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And that, Father, you would speak to us by your word today. In Christ's good name, amen. Dominion has a little bit of a bad connotation in our day and age. We tend to think of dominion as either someone on a crusade to overtake the world dominate, or a despotic ruler like uh, Mao Zedong or something like that who was just a, a dictator, ruling with an iron fist. He had dominion. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, that we have such a, a foul taste in our mouth of that word, dominion, because it's a good word, right? It's God's word for what he gave to us, dominion over this world and all that was in it. Um, there's a, there's a man named John Frame who is a professor at, uh, down in uh, Mississippi and Florida. Um, and he has written this, if you're thinking about a Christmas gift for me. Uh, he has written this big series. I'm just joking, it's expensive. Uh, that's why I don't own it yet. Sarah knows I'll buy it someday though. Uh, it's a four or five volume set called The Lordship of God. And really, you can interchange the word Lord, Lordship, and dominion. That they're really the same sort of thing. That to be Lord is to be, have dominion. If it's your stuff, it's your kingdom, you have dominion over it. And so really, what is happening here is God, who has dominion over all things, has given man dominion over these things. And he doesn't give the man dominion over all things. There are still things, even created things, that we do not rule. Light, darkness, day, night, the seas, and all their goings and comings. We do not rule those. God does. And we know this through Scripture, but we also know it intuitively. We still, to this day, no matter how good our science gets, do not understand the weather even a little bit. We cannot predict one day in advance the weather in Jasper. I know this because I check it and we're always wrong. It's going to rain. It's not going to rain. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. It doesn't rain. It rains everywhere around us. It doesn't rain here. I've watched it happen dozens of times in the last year. It's for sure going to rain tomorrow. No rain. It's for sure not going to rain tomorrow. Torrential downpour. We think we own the sky. We have no clue what God's dominion over this world is. It is complete, total, and utter. But he has given us our dominion, our kingdom to rule over. And it is all the things of this earth. The creatures of this earth, the plants of this earth, the ground under our feet to make it grow and to produce and do things. He has given that to us and told us 
subdue it and have dominion over it. And we do. Even pagans do this, even though they would never claim that's what they're doing. They are taking dominion. I'm really fascinated in recent years by this idea of like indoor crop growing. Okay, Not because I don't love outdoor crop growing, but because this idea that we can take a light bulb, an LED light, and make it produce this spectrum of color, which is what plants need, and we can do it so cheaply, and we can give just the right amount of water and just the right amount of nutrients, and we can build a warehouse up you know, 30, 40 feet in the air and just have racks of plants that we can make grow. We can make the ground give us stuff. And it's hard work. Imagine what it would do if it wasn't broken by the curse. What we could do with the ground and the soil that we have. Even here in southern Indiana where it's clay and doesn't want to do anything. Somehow, somehow farmers take that ground which is impossible to aerate. It's impossible to get nutrients to stay in it. It's impossible not to just hold water like a big bowl. They've figured out how to make stuff grow. Even the biggest pagans of them all can make the earth subdued. They can make it do things. That is unbelievable when you think about it. And we do the same thing in a thousand other arenas. Everywhere you go, the fact that we are sitting on these chairs that are metal, right? So metal is made of these minerals that are in the earth that we heat up and smash together and then bend to our liking. And then we take this other stuff. These are probably polyester, which is oil. We take a liquid substance, do crazy things to it, and make fabric. That's incredible. We take cotton, right? Rita has this cotton plant cotton seed ball that she's had for like how many years? 30 some years and she still every year is planting little bitty cotton seeds and it's still growing cotton. Okay? And then you take these little puffs of cotton, somebody, not us, not me. You take these little puffs of cotton which look like you know, denser dandelion weeds, right? You know, this little ball of stuff and you go, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to pull it and stretch it, and it's going to get these fibers, and then we're going to keep doing that over and over and over again until we get the shirt. And you go, that is unbelievable. Or yesterday, my wife made homemade bread yesterday. You have yeast, which you can literally just set a jar out on the counter and let it kind of just sit in the air, and it'll collect little specks of yeasty things, bacteria, and then close it up and give it some sugar, and it grows. And then you take some of that weird-looking goo that smells bad, and you stick it in some flour and some more sugar, and you let it sit out, and it bubbles up, and it makes bread. That is all, all of it, dominion. We absolutely take dominion of the world. Uh, maybe a year or so ago, I watched a mini-documentary on igloo-making. Unbelievably fascinating. So they're still, right, these men who live up in the dark tundras of the northern Iceland have still been carrying on this tradition of, of igloo building. And so they have these long sticks. This is the first thing they do. They go around and they plunge down into the snow and ice 
And they have to find just the right consistency at just the right depth. And they find a place that has just that. And then what they do is they begin to dig, okay? And the igloo is actually about half underground. And they carve out these huge blocks of ice and snow, and it has to be just right. And they are, they've been trained since birth to know, like, how to, what to look for, right? They build an igloo in less than a day. They build this impossible structure out of snow and ice that keeps them warm in the bitterest cold. That is dominion. That is making the earth ours. It's refusing to let the earth be our ruler. And so the biggest point of this is not to go, you know, you should figure out how to like go farm cotton or something. It's just that this stuff, we, we do it all the time without ever thinking, what is happening right now is dominion making. What is happening right now is us taking dominion over the earth. And if we get that into our heads, Christians should have great advantage over pagans in this. Because we know that the earth, what did you say right before service started? What did you say? Divine, what did you? Divine design, design, right? So we were talking about vaccine stuff. We're not going to get into that. But uh, that there is a divine design and Christians know that. We know that this, nothing is an accident. Nothing just appears randomly in this world, but it's all here. And all of it is for us to take dominion over. And we have, right? Vaccines, not to get into current vaccines, but vaccines is a perfect example of that. You have this disease, smallpox, one of the earliest vaccines. We figured out how to take a disease that murdered people in droves. And we figured out how to contain it. Take it and go, okay, I'm going to take you disease and I'm going to somehow contain you so that instead of killing someone, you protect them. We took dominion over smallpox and we have done it a million times over in many other areas of life. And Christians have a great advantage because we know, we know that that's what we're supposed to do. That the earth is ours and everything in it. And we are supposed to take dominion over it. We're supposed to rule over it. It's ours. That idea is often called something like the Protestant work ethic. It was dubbed that in, I think, the early 1900s by a guy whose name I can't remember. That the modern American world was largely Protestant, right? That's most of the people who came here were Protestants, many of them fleeing persecution. We began to take dominion over this world. And we're not going to get into all the politics of what went on and how it went down, but we did. The, the modern American industrial revolution was a God-driven Christian work thing where we went... Here's all this crazy stuff. Uh, I, I listened to a biography of John D. Rockefeller a few years ago. Um, and they talk about when they were first uh, discovering oil and how to use it, right? So for a long time, decades, all they did basically was make a lamp oil with it. And there was this byproduct that they had no idea what to do with. 
And they would just let it run off into the creeks and it poisoned all these fish and it wasn't good. Do you know what that byproduct was? Huh? It's gasoline. Gasoline! Here's this thing that we think is indispensable to modern America that is a byproduct of oil, of making it into burnable oil for a lamp. They're like, what is this thing? What are we going to do with it? It's super flammable, and it dissipates quickly, and we don't have any idea what to do with it. Just drain it all off. Then somebody figured out how to use it. And, and then somebody figured out, you know, it can make this big explosion. And somebody else thought, well, what if we contain that explosion in a tiny little thing and moved a piston and drove it? All these guys are just taking dominion. Some of them thinking, I am taking dominion. And many of them, pagans, just naturally doing what God has given us to do, which is to take dominion over the earth. Okay, so that's, that's a, a really broad concept of, of kingly dominion. The fact that it's ours and we're taking it. It's this subduing of the stuff of the earth. John Frame, though, says that lordship, dominion, really is three things. It's this kingly dominion that I've been talking about. This, it's our stuff. We own it. We're going to use it. We're going to get the most out of it we can. We're going to work hard. Christians should be preserving the earth too because we know it's ours and we work hard to preserve the things we own personally. We should work hard to preserve the thing we own corporately. You know, we take care of this church building corporately. We repaved or uh, sealed the driveway here corporately because it's ours together. We should corporately take care of the whole earth, we should be, unfortunately it's been taken over, we should be environmentalists as kingly dominion makers. We should care that the earth is replenished and renewed. Okay, so that's kingly dominion. Then there's this other office, the prophetic office of dominion. The fact that words and language are a big piece of how God rules and how we rule. So how did God establish his kingly dominion? He said, 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 let there be. And there was. And then what do we call his son? We call his son the word. That language, language is intrinsic to dominion making. Why is it that squirrels aren't dominion makers? Well, one, they weren't given dominion. Two, there is no language to unite them. And some of you will go, what about, uh, oh, what's that chimpanzee that was super famous in the 80s? Learned like 500 different sign language things. Coco, I think. Coco, the chimpanzee, you know, she, would, she had the little pet kitten. There were pictures of her everywhere, right? Super famous, you know. Listen, Coco, no matter how many words she learned and could figure out and whatever and communicate, the reality was she never was a high-level communicator. She could never write Shakespeare. I mean, we can't write Shakespeare, but Shakespeare could never come from the chimpanzee world. It couldn't happen. There is no natural language of the chimps in that sort of way. We have been given not just a language, right, but actual words to take dominion with. Okay? 
So we've got language, which is different than other species in the way we use our language. But more than that, we have words given to us to speak. We tend to think of prophets only in the very narrow sense of like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. But this book, the whole of it, is a prophecy. It is a word from God to us. We, as dominion makers, aren't just to take dominion of the stuff of the earth, but over the earth and over against the evils that could come against us in the earth by declaring the words of God in total. So think, think, right? So part of what happened at the creation was God said to Adam, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Do you know when he said that? It was before Eve. It was before Eve. And then Eve was created. And then Eve has this discussion with the serpent. And Eve quotes God. How did she know those words? God may have told her directly, or more than likely, her husband told her. God said we could eat of all this stuff, Eve, but he said of that tree we're not allowed to eat. That part of the the dominion making is the declaration of what God has said. And God said other things implicitly in when he created the world. We know in Genesis chapter 2, At the beginning, it says that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, and he blessed it and made it holy because he rested from all the work that he had done. The Sabbath is not an invention of Moses for the Ten Commandments. It was built into the creation by God himself. And Adam would have had the necessity of declaring that truth to his wife and his children. He would have had lots of things to tell them. We're supposed to have children. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're supposed to subdue it and take dominion over it. We're supposed to labor in six days and rest on the Sabbath. Marriage is good, and so when you grow up, son, you're going to leave us, and you're going to be married to your wife, and you're going to be one flesh, separate from me and your mother. You're going to have respect for life, right? Just a few chapters later, we talked about this already. It says, if a man sheds another man's blood, his life will be required of him because he was made in the image of God. How do you think we know that? It's because Adam and his progeny continue to tell us these things. Words, words are part of dominion making. Because it's not enough to just... Use the stuff of the earth to make a building. The point of all these things is to have a way to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point at this point. And you could sum it up even further. The whole point of having stuff and subduing it is to declare the glory of God from the mountaintops. That was Adam and Eve's mandate. To not just... Subdue the world, but subdue the world so that it magnified the God of heaven. And now we know, because the earth fell in the sin of Adam, that our job is to proclaim the gospel of redemption 
so that we can then declare the glory of God from the mountaintops. And we have words to do that by. Right here. And so a huge part of our dominion making is declaration. It's teaching. It's saying what is true and what is false. When we talk about things like what's going on in the world with sexuality and the weirdness and you know what's going on at Jasper High School with his yearbook and the LGBT weirdness that's in it, what are we doing other than declaring God's truth and saying we will take this and not that? This is what God has said and not that. And God is the ruler, not us. And words are how we do that. Words are how we show forth our dominion. You can see this again in Genesis, that when God created something, he named it, right? So, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. That if you have dominion over something, you have the rights to name it. Adam was given dominion over all created things, all creeping things and beasts of the earth. And then God gave him the task of doing what? Naming them. Naming them. And he did. He named all the things. Uh, There's a... Man, I'm running way out of time. Hang on. I got to figure out how to make this much shorter. I got way too much. Or, hang on. This is going to be two sermons. There's just no way I'm going to get it done. Dominion. Okay, so this is, we're talking about prophetic dominion. One of the ways in which God shows forth the fact that we have dominion is in naming things. Now, think of this just practically in your own lives. Do parents, now you're not going to like this word. Because we have such a visceral reaction against it. Do parents have dominion over their children? Yes. Now we don't like that word we just utterly don't like. But they have authority, right? Parents have authority over their children. They are the rulers over their children. They are the protectors of their children. They are kings and queens over their children. Good kings and queens over their children, hopefully. But nonetheless, kings and queens, rulers, dominion over their children. What is one of the first things parents do? Name their child. A good name is to be sought after more than many riches. That's a proverb. Parents choose the names of their children. Not because they own their kid, but because it is just what dominion owners do. Right? So if you make a product, you name it. Right? So the first guy to make a chair, well, that's a little weird because it's just language. The first guy to make this, this little microphone that we have up here that's, you know, a little bit weird looking. This is called a blue snowball. Right? So whoever the guy was who sat in an engineering room and thought up how to make this thing and looked at it when he got done, he went, you know what? looks kind of like a snowball. I'm going to name it Snowball. He had the power to do that. He had rights to it. He's the inventor. He's the subduer. He's the dominion maker over this thing. We have dominion in lots of ways on this earth. 
Um, we have dominion over our children, and so we name them. We have dominion over our pets, and so we name them. We have dominion over lots of things. We use words to show forth our dominion. And because we have such a bad taste of dominion, we don't like to think of it that way. Because who else was named by Adam? Eve. Eve did not choose her name. Adam was named by God, and Eve was named by Adam. Now this plays forth, right? Long after, we're talking thousands of years later in the New Testament, God says, similarly, for Adam was formed first and not Eve, implying the order mattered. Now, again, to to just back up, because we have such a bad attachment to this word dominion and to authority and submission. Think of the goodness, the goodness of submitting ourselves to the shepherd, the king. How it is pleasant in every way. And then think of the pleasantness that Adam and Eve enjoyed before the fall. When he was still her head. He had still named her. There was an authority, a dominion over her. Not not a crushing down dominion. But a good dominion. What is one of the other things that a good king does for his people? He doesn't just rule over them and say, do this and do that and go this way and build this road. He also does what? He protects them. He ensures their fruitfulness. He wants them to be happy people. Right? A good king would do this for his people. A bad king would not. One of the first markers that uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam was not going to be a good king, is what happened when Solomon died. Solomon taxed the people extensively. Okay, He built the temple. He went on a lot of wars, and he built the temple. It was an exceedingly hard time for the people because of the taxes of Solomon. And so when Rehoboam, his son, comes up, he says to some older counselors, should I be like my father? And the older counselors go, listen, Rehoboam, It has been a heavy 40 years under your dad, Solomon, with the taxes, and we built the temple, and the people are happy. Give them some reprieve from this. Loosen the strings of the purse of the kingdom, and your people will flourish, and they will love you for it. And then Rehoboam goes to some men his own age, and he goes, what do you guys think? And these guys go, listen, what are you? Some kind of weak-willed man that you wouldn't be as stern as your father? You should lay down the law. And so Solomon or Rehoboam does. He increases the taxes against his people. Destroys the kingdom. He didn't desire the happiness of his people. He didn't desire the flourishing of his people. He didn't desire the fact that he wanted a good kingdom full of happy people doing good things. And so he was harsh and wicked in his rule. This happens. There are many harsh, dictator-like rulers. God, however, is not that way. He is not that way. And we, his people, his image bearers, have authority and dominion in various roles in our lives. And we can either be despotic, nasty, Rehoboam-like rulers, or we can be godly. 
to take it out of the marriage context for just another moment, when we take our vehicle in to get service at a mechanic, right? So we're gonna, I gotta take my van in next week because it's squeaking. I think I got a something, a belt or a pulley or idle idler pulley or something is not right. You know, it's beep 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 that kind of thing. So I'm taking it in. And so I have authority, right, in some way over the mechanic. I'm the guy who has the paycheck, the bill, and I'm paying the money. If you don't fix it according to the way I like it, I will tell you to fix it again, right? Now, I could look at the mechanic that way, which is kind of funny from the pulpit, but in reality, that's how we generally think of people like mechanics and plumbers and electricians. If you don't do it my way, you'll do it again. Or we can be kind, loving rulers over our mechanics and desire them to do good work because in the end it's better if they do good work with a happy guy who pays them than a mean guy who pushes it over them. So I worked front end mechanic. I worked front desk for a mechanic for a year. And I can tell you, it is extremely apparent almost immediately who actually cares about the guy doing the work on their car and who does not. Some people only care about the mechanism of the vehicle in their possession. And they don't give two cents about the guy working on it or anything else. They don't care if he eats, sleeps. They don't care about his kids, what they're doing. They'll call at 5 o'clock and we'll go, the part didn't get here until 4.45. I'm sorry, it's going to be tomorrow. I mean, just explode. Because they're the ruler. It's their vehicle. You do it the way they want. They don't care if you have to stay late and you miss dinner with your kids and you miss their baseball game and you got to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning to get it done. It's their vehicle. You promised it. I'm the ruler here. You can be like that. You can be like that as a husband. You can be very demanding. You can say, listen, I have dominion. I have authority. You do what I say. And you don't question me. You don't talk back to me. You don't, you don't ever act that way when I'm around. You could do that. You would be ungodly. But you could do it. Or as a husband, you could go, God has given me this enormous, enormous privilege and weight of responsibility that I have authority in this relationship and if my wife fails it's my failure if my wife doesn't succeed it's me who actually bears the weight of that if my wife sins that's my sin because we are one flesh and the stripes will come out of my back not hers Those sorts of things are talked about in the Old Testament, and we think of them as very patriarchal. But here's one of them. If a young girl who's unmarried takes a vow, or a wife takes a vow, and the husband or the father finds out about it, he can renege the vow. He can say, that's no vow. He has the power to override the vows of his daughters and his wife. We think, well, that's no good. Isn't she free to do as she pleases? But he does it if he's a good man. 
to protect her from a rash vow that we all have made. What about that young woman who promises marriage to an idiot? And the father comes in and says, we're not doing this marriage. We're not doing this marriage. And everyone's like, oh, you know, she's free to choose. She has, she's her own woman. If she wants to marry that idiot, she can marry that idiot. The Old Testament said the father has the right to say no. If his wife gets into a pickle where she is over, over her head in something, you know, maybe some guy's taking advantage of her at a mechanic shop, right? The husband in the Old Testament could go and say, hey, 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 we're ending that, we're voiding that contract. Nope, not happening. That is a benevolence that we just have no capacity for. And then we look at God, our Savior, what he did. Isaiah 53, very famous passage, by his stripes we are healed. We have taken a million rash vows and done a million things on our own. And we are fully responsible for them. Every single bit of it. And we love the authority of our shepherd, who instead of us dying, bore every single stripe for us. We love his authority over us. The fact that he has the ability to say to the man who we owe a pound of flesh to, take it from me. Take it from me. I'm their shepherd and king. Don't kill them, kill me. This is our image. It's not one of harsh, demanding, you do this, you don't do that. It is, you are mine, and I love you, and I will die for you. That is kingly prophetic dominion. It leads into the next point, which is priestly dominion, which we're just going to have to deal with next week. So hold on to your seats. Hold those two in your minds for a week. But those two things, along with priestly dominion, are the ways in which we show the image of God to people and declare God's dominion in all that he does and that it is good. Let's stand this morning. We're going to sing number 434, Revive Us Again. Before that, I'm going to pray. Father, we are very, very grateful for your dominion over us and over this world and over this universe and over all these things that you have made of light and darkness and everything else. Father, the weight of the responsibility that you've given us to have dominion is huge. And we are not up to the task. Give us strength for it. Give us hope for it. Give us the power of your spirit to do it in a way that honors you and pleases you. Father, don't make us self-serving dominion makers, but make us good, godly dominion makers who declare the truth, who are happy about the things you have said and done. Give us faith, faith and hope in the light of these things. Help us, Father. You are good to us, and we know it. We pray, Father, that your image would be shown forth in our lives individually and as our church as a whole. And, Father, that you'd be glorified in our midst. We thank you. We praise you in the name of your good son, Jesus. Amen. Number 434, revive us again.